It's the Perry and Shauna podcast on the real life journey with you, reminding you that you are Abba's beloved child and that Jesus has called you into his massive mission to heal the world. If Jesus is treasured in your family, that's not an accident. That's a miracle because Jesus can't be treasured in your family unless a miracle has happened. It happened in my family. My mom and dad, when they were 30 years old, they came alive to Jesus and it was real and it was authentic and sometimes it was messy, but it was watching them (laughs) on fire for Jesus, watching them burn and wanting to be like them because, you know, when Jesus breaks into a family, it's the miracle of the new birth. I mean, my dad was at... He was working night shift at Procter & Gamble at the plant, and he was, you know, just checking the gauges on the paper-making machine, and he had time, and he was reading through the Book of Romans, and he was reading through a study on the Book of Romans, and, and that's when he just realized that, man, all my life I've been trying to obey God to get him to love me, but he loves me with all the mm-hmm. junk in my life, and, and he just boom, came alive, and he started telling people about I mean, he was a devout Catholic, and he knew all about Jesus, but he started telling people about the Lord right there that that night, and they would say, Dave, we know all that stuff, Hmm. but it had come alive in his heart. The Word of God is living and active, Yeah, and it does. It... I've definitely been there where I've read a passage that I know, even stuff that I've memorized, like I know it, and... I read it and it feels like God edited it last night, you know, when I read it because it's like, oh my, like it, it makes the drop from the head to the heart. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing you say happened for Dave. Yeah. And it was a miracle. And if Jesus is in our families, we have these stories to tell. You know, there are a lot of mundane days that have been in my family, just routine, slogging through the mud, lots of hard things, lots of painful things, lots of broken things. But there is this legacy of God breaking in Mm -hmm. and our family stories are important and we need to tell them, keep on telling them. In one of my visits with my parents, this was probably about two years before my dad went to heaven. It was in the morning, my dad was just wearing his white V-neck undershirt with his slick Adidas pants, you know, with the stripes down the side. And he had his slippers on. His hair was a little askew. Yeah. And we're sitting at the table for breakfast. And I said, I just pulled out my phone. I just started video recording my dad. I was like, Dad, who's your favorite person? He's like, um, you are? <laughs> nice. But just I just started asking him questions about his childhood, about whatnot, and Oh, man, did he testify about Jesus. But it, I'm so grateful that I asked those questions and I have that video where I can see his reaction and hear his voice and hear his stories. It's mm-hmm. so important that we pass down yeah. our stories of experiences with God. Yeah, because it makes faith come alive, mm-hmm. especially for those in the family who aren't yet followers of Jesus. And so here's one of the huge stories in our family. My dad was in the hospital about five years ago. His heart was racing. He has AFib, and he was just, he was scared. They couldn't slow it down. It made him think about his mortality, and Mm -hmm. so he had nodded off to sleep. And as he was waking up, he saw what he thought was the nurse, but it wasn't a nurse. 
because this person was was like moving back mm-hmm. and forth like lightning. Was it a dream? I don't know. I, I don't think so because the, the person then said to him, the Bible is the word of God, said this to my dad. And then the person said, I am the word of God. Who is that? Only one. It's got to be Jesus. I am the word of God. Right. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. That's crazy, right? Crazy good. Yeah, it's crazy. And the Lord loves to show up to the regular, the ordinary, you know. My dad's amazing. You know, he's my hero. He's just a regular guy. Mm-hmm. And Mary was just a regular girl. You know, God loves to show up. He doesn't show up to the kings and the queens. I mean, he will if he has to, if you twist his arm. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how it works? Can we twist God's arm? <laughs> but, you know, he, he reveals himself to the humble. And then this person who said, I am the word of God, circled around his room. And, mm-hmm. and afterwards I said, Dad, that reminds me of Psalm 34. The angel of the Lord camps around those who fear him and he delivers them. And he was delivered from that. You know, his heart slowed down. And, and I think that was preparing my dad for just things ahead, Hmm. tough things with, you know, a family member who's just really suffered all of his life. And then my mom passing away and, you know, God gives us these things so that we can look back and say, wow, God really did that right now. God, it's hard to even believe you're there, but you did that back then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The words goodness of God just come to mind as you tell that story, right? Like all my life you have been faithful. Mm. All my life, you've been so, so good with every breath that I am able. Mm. I will sing of the goodness of God. Yeah. And so let's share these stories. Let's share these stories in our families. And let's pass on the faith through telling these amazing stories. And if you're the only person in your family who's a believer, it starts with you. And because Jesus Christ has done something genuine in you, You're not going to be the only one in your family who knows the Lord. There's going to be people in your family who come to know the Lord. I just believe that. Praise be. Praise be. That's awesome. But we need to tell our stories. Yep. Because stories light the flame. So share your story and just watch God work. Christmas to you. We are in the Christmas season, and I know there's just a million things to get done. I kind of had, well, I was tempted to freak out. I didn't go full-blown freak out, but I definitely had a moment a couple of days ago where I was thinking about all the things that need to happen before Christmas. So my niece is getting married on Saturday in Cleveland. My daughter and I are singing at the wedding. My daughter's playing. She's had finals, hasn't been able to get me the music. So I'm like, I really need to practice. She hadn't decided what key we were going to do this song in. And I totally understand her world is, you know, she's got a million things going on too. So I'm, I'm waiting on her to be able to dive fully into embracing that song. I've been practicing it, but not, but in a different key, you know, all the things. Anyway, the lists, the people I need to shop for, the parties that we're, we get to host. I love doing that. The decorations, the tree, the, all the things, you know, the, the, the gifts that need to be shipped. So this has to be purchased in advance and thought through to make sure that they get to where they need to get. I know, you know, all the things. 
in the midst of all of that, we want to take time to focus on what Christmas is all about. The Advent season, you know, reminds us as we focus each week on a different aspect of what Jesus brings, that he brings us hope, that he brings us peace, that he brings love, perfect, perfect love, the love that we long for, that he brings us joy. And one of those, the first one I mentioned is that Jesus is the bringer of hope. And biblical hope is different from the things that we hope for. It's not like hoping, you know, fingers crossed that the thing that you want the most will be under the tree or that the person that you want to cuddle up close to on Christmas is going to want to be with you on Christmas. Like we hope all these things and we don't have any assurance that they're going to happen. Biblical hope is not like that. Biblical hope is trusting in a God who's trustworthy. He is you can bank on him. It's not a fingers crossed, wishful hoping, wishful thinking kind of hope. It's certainty. It's being sure that God is who he always has been and he's going to continue to be faithful so we can trust him to come through for us. It says in his word that it is impossible for God to lie. That's in Hebrews. Impossible. I love that. I love that. And so the we're connected to ancient believers at Christmas time too. This is one of the things I love about biblical hope. They were hoping for the Messiah to come. It had been 400 years since the last prophetic word, and they were waiting for this this Messiah to come and to, to make everything as it should be. And then Jesus came. He broke into the silence, and and the promises of God were fulfilled in his son coming and being human and living a perfect life, and dying on the cross for our sins, and being resurrected and brought back to life again. They got to see it lived out. I feel a connection to them at this time of the year because I'm still longing for God to come and make everything right. I got stuff in my life that's not as it should be, that's, that's outside of my control, and I long for God to make it right. We're still waiting because He has promised He's going to come back, and He's going to make everything right. Right. He's going to make all the sad things untrue. There you go. As Perry would say. Tolkien. Tolkien. So we're, we're, we're longing people too. They were longing people as they waited for the Messiah. We're longing people as we wait for his return and for everything to be made right. And so I feel that connection to them. And, and I, it brings me hope to know that everything they longed for came to be. Mm-hmm. It happened. It actually happened. It's not a tale. It's not a fable. That's what the genealogies, you know, all, all the, there, this is a story, not that got passed down from generation to generation. It's, it's history. It's something that actually took place that Jesus came. And think about the people who got to see it with yeah. their own eyes. It wasn't most of the world. It was, it was the people in Judea and Galilee and in that area we call Palestine now, mm-hmm. they got to see it with their eyes. Now, most of them didn't recognize it, but the ones who did spread it to the known world. Mm. He has come and the promises have been fulfilled, but there's more to come. And there were those who were waiting for Jesus to come who were, I don't know, I got to believe saying <laughs> it's been 400 years. Like, I know the promises are there and I hope that they'll come, but I don't know when. It's been a long time and where the hope maybe got a little dormant. For sure. And I think that we can be tempted to fall into that category. Like, I know Jesus is coming back, but I am not sensing any urgency around that. 
I don't know. I don't know when that's going to happen. But there were also people that were awaiting the Messiah who were watching, yep. who were who were on their tiptoes anticipating the coming Messiah. I want to be in that category. As we wait again, as we're connected to our ancient brothers and sisters in Christ who waited for the Messiah and we wait for his return, I want to wait leaning in. Shout out to Simeon. Yeah. S- Simeon held the Messiah in his arms. He knew it was the Messiah. And he said, Lord, now you can dismiss your servant in peace. Yeah. He's like, this is what I've been waiting for my whole life. Yep. Yeah. So as we wait, because we are, we are waiting once again, just like they were waiting. We're waiting for the return of Jesus, living in the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah having come with even more confidence than they would have had because we've seen that God keeps his promises. Let's actively wait. Let's not be passive about it. Let's Let's listen for the Holy Spirit. Let's look for his presence. Let's listen for his voice. Let's always be learning. Let's always be obeying him. Let's keep walking with him. These are adjectives. This involves you and me. Let's be active, not passive, as we wait for the return of the King. What is wrong with the world? It's the radical left. They're trying to tear down the foundations of America. It's wokeism. It's the cultural elites. The Harvard students cheering on Hamas. No, it's the radical right. The guys in their pickup trucks flying the flag of that president. Mm. You know who I'm talking about. It's those Christian nationalists, those narrow-minded fundamentalists with their narrow-minded view of sexuality. It's my father-in-law who played favorites, inflicted hurt, created a cycle of unforgiveness. It's President Xi. Yeah, he's the problem. It's Putin. It's ISIS. It's the injustice of the Israeli government. What's wrong with the world? Hmm. There's real darkness out there. Yeah, out there. Romans chapter 3. There is no one righteous, not even one. Hmm. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. It's so easy. It's a wee bit convicting right there. It should be. It's supposed to be. It needs to be. It's so easy for me to be self-righteous and say, the problem is out there. And believe me, I've done that probably this week. Problem is out there, but the problem is in me. Mm -hmm. There's poison in me. There's cyanide in me. There's a malignant tumor in me and you. That's why the baby was born in Bethlehem. Mm -hmm. That's what Christmas is all about. The word of God who spoke the universe into existence became a baby, lived the flawless life of love that we should have lived, died the death we deserve for our hatred, our slander, our greed, our idolatry, our all the, self-righteousness, our self-righteousness, all that junk that's in there. He died in our place and then rose again to bring us into the undeserved, unearnable embrace of God. <sighs> I got a testimony. He removed my heart of stone and gave me a heart of flesh, a heart of flesh. The world's only hope is to get a new heart from Jesus Christ, a new heart with the capacity to love 
and forgive and be humble and realize that the world can only be changed through heart change. Mm -hmm. I think that this truth hits hard and there's a part of me that wants to pretend that the feelings that I have towards others, the, you know, the, that it's out there, it's out there, it's out there. Like that. I just need to pretend that that's not in me, Mm -hmm. but all throughout the Psalms we see, right? There's just, it's okay to be in the presence of God and to pour that out. Like, Lord, I'm frustrated by this. Lord, make this wrong right. I mean, there are injustices that should get us rattled, but, but not, not, but, and, and we need to be praying the prayer. God change me. How do you want me to enter in? How do you want me to be a part of what's going on? I recently, not like recent as in like, oh, it happened. It started at 11 o'clock on Tuesday and by three o'clock I was fine. I'm talking a longer journey than that, but I came awake to a realization that this this festering frustration inside of me of circumstances that I can't control was not bringing, was not doing anything good for me, was not bringing me anywhere good whatsoever. <laughs> And when I began to pray, instead of change them, change them, change them, I just started to pray, God, give me love. Give me love for them. Change me. Help me to be different. Things started to shift in me mm-hmm. for the better, for the good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's such a great point that you bring up about there are a lot of things wrong in the world. There are very, very true injustices and maybe They've happened to you. And it is right to get upset and angry about that. But I think the only way as believers, followers of Jesus, the only way we can can respond to the injustices in our world is when we come from this place of humility that we share in common with every single human being this poison that's in us. That humbles us. And we'll never be able to bring justice. We'll bring vengeance. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll try to win if we're if we're not humble. But we won't bring true justice and we won't bring love and we won't bring mercy until we're humbled by this reality that there's no one who does good, not even one. Mm-hmm. In 1910, the London Times had run a series of articles by eminent writers and thinkers of the day asking what was wrong with the world. And in response, G.K. Chesterton, the great Catholic thinker, journalist, wrote to the newspaper as follows. Dear sirs, what's wrong with the world? I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. Mm. Love that guy. Yeah. I know this month is so crazy with the the Christmas shopping and the decorating and the parties and the baking and all the things, the lists and all the things. But I tell you what, we are absolutely committed to helping us to stay focused on what the season is all about. And it's the fact that Jesus came and he became human. He became like you and me. And what the Father did in sending his son for us, what an incredible expression of love because love can't be love if it's not expressed. Love isn't an idea, it is an action and God took the ultimate action. I want to read with you, I want to read to you this quote from Counterfeit Gods and I'm just kind of 
I'd love to chat about it a little bit and hear what you think. Tim Keller. Tim Keller, counterfeit gods. Here we go. You ready? Yep. Okay. God saw Abraham's sacrifice and said, now I know that you love me because you did not withhold your only son from me. But how much more can we look at his sacrifice on the cross and say to God, now I know that you love us for you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from us. Now, if you're not familiar with the, with the story of Abraham, God asked him to take his son and sacrifice him. And there was this whole journey. It wasn't like something that happened in a moment. Abraham had to plan it. He had to take his son Isaac with him on this journey up the mountain to the place where he was going to sacrifice his son. And he was going to do this in obedience to God, even though his son, God had promised that this whole nation would come from his son. And, and Isaac was the son that, that this whole nation was supposed to come through, right? Mm-hmm. Even though all of God's promises were on this one boy, he knew that God had spoken to him and that he was to sacrifice his son and he was going to be obedient to that. God stopped him and said, you know, in a sense, now I know that you love me more than you love the gifts that I have right. given you and yep. my promises to you. And And then in Hebrews, we see that, you know, Abraham believed that God could raise Isaac back from the dead. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was, it was both his, his commitment to God and loving God most, and also his belief in God's power to be able to radically change circumstances. But it's such a beautiful illustration of absolute love, absolute commitment to the Lord. Yeah, it is. And it's a foreshadowing of what is to come. Because in that, we see that, that God himself didn't hold back in loving us, and he sent his son for you and me. Yeah, God did give up his son. Yeah. Whereas Abraham didn't have to right. give up his son. And so we can look at the son who was killed for us and know how much God loves us. And I think it was pretty much the same for Abraham. He could see how much God loved him. Because God provided a sacrifice. So in a sense, he was looking at Christ because mm-hmm. that sacrifice pointed to Christ. Of course, it was a test to see if Abraham really loved God. But it wasn't like, Abraham, if you pass this test, then you're in my family. He was already in the family. right? So he was just responding to incredible grace. And he saw incredible grace there. He was going to have to give up his son. And God provided the lamb. And so... In that lamb, Abraham is also looking to Christ, just like we are. And and does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. I mean, and of course, years and years and years and years before Christ, right? But it's there's so much here, Perry. I feel like we could do a whole morning just on this quote. But one of the things that stands out to me is that the whole Bible, the whole story, is about Jesus. Mm-hmm. It is. It is all about Jesus, and even thousands of years before Christ came. It's about Jesus. And the Bible is a, there are many, 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 many stories. And it takes all the stories in the Bible to tell the one story. Mm -hmm. But each story does point to Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I didn't always see this. And I don't know that it's communicated well. I really don't. Mm -hmm. I, I know very few people who communicate really nationally, internationally. I know very few people who can explain the story 
in a way that makes me come alive. Right. But the thing is, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Right. Once you know the whole Bible story is all about Jesus. And this is, man, my, my brain is just bursting all these thoughts. I'll try to <laughs> stop and order them. But like the the conversation that Jesus had with the, the two on the road to Emmaus, right? Yep. Like they're going, but scripture says this and scripture, and he just starts unfolding it for them. And, and they're like, oh my. Right. It's all about Jesus. The yep. whole thing, it's all about Jesus. And every time we open up God's word, we we have the presence of God with us, the Holy Spirit in us, translating, helping us to understand, reminding us of what Jesus said, and pressing that truth into us just like Jesus did on that walk, right? Mm-hmm. We get to walk with Jesus too as we open up scriptures and as we walk through life and come to greater understanding about how it's all about him. But the other thing that I just, I can't, not say is Christmas is so much more than just Jesus coming as a baby. Christmas is the expression of love of God himself. It's it's almost as if Christmas is God saying, I love you. Oh, it is. I love you. Let me show you my love for you. Yeah. Yes. We'd love to hear your thoughts this morning. Join the conversation at 800-968-8930. And when you hear the bells and you sing the songs and you see the lights, shoot, even when you see Santa Claus himself, let Christmas be a reminder to you that Christmas is God's way of saying and showing, I love you. It's the most wonderful time of the year, except if it's not. Maybe for the first time this Christmas, there's going to be an empty chair at the table. Could be a death, maybe a divorce. I'm told that divorce is worse than death. Mm -hmm. And you feel the excruciating weight of grief and loss. Three years ago on December 14th, I lost mom. I felt that weight. Three years ago, Joanna, a Jesus follower like you and me on the journey with the bumps and the bruises and the joys and the pain, lost her dad unexpectedly. He was an amazing dad to her. And now there are many times when it's nearly impossible for Joanna to pray. She struggles with doubt. God, are you even there? Am I just speaking to, you know, the tooth fairy? I mean, she's just Mm -hmm. being honest. And then she thinks about all the pain in the world and she feels selfish about bringing God her quote-unquote little problem. N.T. Wright is a New Testament scholar and on his podcast, Ask N.T. Wright Anything from Premier Communications in the UK. He answers Joanna's question and maybe this will help you if you're going through grief, maybe from the loss, the death of a loved one or a divorce or just some kind of great loss in your life. Joanna, my heart goes out to you. That sense of tearing loss and of waking up in the morning and then there being a split second and then it hits you again. He's gone. He's not there. This this is just terrible. And and those of us who've faced any such experience know exactly what you're going through, I think. In the middle of that, I really want to say right up front, this is not selfish and it is not unimportant. God loves your broken heart as much as he loved your unbroken heart 
before. Um, if anything, I want to say God loves your broken heart even more. God specializes in broken hearts. God's own heart was broken on the cross. That's what the story is all about. The grief of God going all the way back to when God looked at the wickedness of humans and it grieved him to his heart. It says that in the, in the Noah story in Genesis. So, I mean, somehow we have to say actually God knows about grief too. And we see that it's a mystery, of course, as to what that means until we see Jesus, Jesus weeping at the tomb of his friends, Jesus weeping himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in a sense, I would say the only way into prayer in that context will be through inhabiting stories like that. I think were I in your position, Jana, I might want to uh, read through the Gethsemane story in Matthew or Mark, or read through the story of, in John's Gospel, chapter 11, of Jesus going to Bethany to be with Mary and Martha. And don't hurry on too quickly to the actual raising of Lazarus, because there is a moment there where Mary and Martha just come with their broken hearts. Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And, and just just stop on that and go into the story yourself and see what Jesus then says to you when you say to him, if you'd been here, my dad wouldn't have died, and resonate with that moment of, of sorrow and grief before moving on to the promise which is there of the final resurrection, of which the raising of Lazarus is, of course, an extraordinary foretaste. And the doubts which, of course, almost all of us have in prayer, when it does just seem rather silly, we're just thought, thinking and talking to ourselves. I would say this is one of the reasons God has given us the Psalms. Psalms like Psalm 42 and 43. Why are you so heavy, O my soul? Why are you so disquieted within me? Trust in God, hope in God. I will again praise him. I am down in the pit at the moment, but I can see that there might be a place to which I will come and go through that psalm. Or when it gets really bleak, if you can bear it, go into Psalm 88, which leaves you in the dark, but with the knowledge that somehow it's God's darkness. And that feels strange because isn't God the creator of light, but actually that's a way through. The Psalms were Jesus' prayer book, and they should be our prayer book as well. So that's where I would start with some of those harrowing stories in the Gospels, to read them slowly and prayerfully, becoming a spectator in the crowd who then ceases to be a spectator and becomes somebody who can come herself and spread out her sorrows before Jesus. And then the Psalms again and again. And as an extra, I've often said to people, sit down, turn off the television and the phones and all the rest of it, and read Isaiah 40 to 55 from start to finish, straight through, and sense Israel in exile, Israel in sorrow, Israel in grief, Israel having lost hope, and God saying, actually, I'm God. I can do new things. And out of that, who knows what's going to grow. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, his podcast— in case you're interested, is called Ask N.T. Write Anything. And what I'm hearing Tom say, that's he goes by Tom. What I'm hearing him say is that don't run away from the grief, but move into the grief mm -hmm. by, you know, going to scripture where people are grieving and the psalmists are just brutally honest. Psalm 88 is 
one of my favorite psalms. It's incredible because it doesn't end on a high note. And God's saying, you know what? Sometimes the seasons of life, they don't end on a high note. And it's okay to feel that because God understands our humanity. So it's it's kind of counterintuitive, but God's word is always counterintuitive that we don't you know, try to escape, escape what we're feeling, mm-hmm. but we actually embrace it with with God and with people who can sit with us as well. The line that grabbed my attention from M.T. Wright was when he said, read the scripture and then go into the story. Mm. Ask the Lord yourself, you know, or say the words that you need to say. If you'd have been here, my marriage wouldn't have fallen apart. If you would have been here, my daughter wouldn't have died. If you would have been here, you know, enter into the story with Jesus and have the conversation with him yourself. Yeah, and when people come to us who who are really hurting, it's it's so easy to try to fix it and and say the nice thing. It, and yeah, I struggle with this, but to be able to suffer with people and to mourn with those who mourn, you know, we can the gift of presence is so important. And so, you know, if you're going through grief, you've lost somebody, you've gone through divorce, Maybe you've lost a child. Man, we're just so sorry for that. And we do mourn with you. You know, like with my dad, he lost my mom about three years ago, December 14th. We're coming up on December 14th. And for him, almost two years to the day, he went through excruciating grief. It, It was painful to watch, but almost two years to the day, he just was over it. Mm. It just lifted. And whatever you're going through, you know, be in it. We're in it with you. And, but God's going to bring a resurrection because in death, in God's universe, which this is in God's universe, death always leads to a resurrection. There will be a resurrection. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. I'm doing a new thing, God says. Now it springs up. I know we've got Christmas in front of us and our minds are all wrapped around Christmas, but boom, Christmas happens and then we're just a week away from a brand new year. And so I like to spend some time at the end of each year, just kind of reflecting back on the year, but also dreaming about what could happen in 2024. It was our good buddy, David Dorner, that flipped the script a little bit for me from what I want to do in the year to who I want to be. And I love that so much. Just changed my mentality. And then that got reinforced with a, um, Atomic Habits book. So good. Anyway, yeah, who do you want to be a year from now? And then what are the simple, repeatable patterns that need to be put in place so that you can be who you want to be? And there's definitely things we can look forward to into the new year and see, oh, there's some pretty cool stuff happening in 2024. Maybe you've got some some graduations coming up or there's, you know, new people joining the family, maybe a, a wedding taking place or a baby being born or, I don't know, a milestone that you're hitting with work, a project that's finally going to be complete or a special anniversary. Whatever those moments are, we can see them. We know that they're coming and we can ready ourselves for them. We can set in place simple, repeatable patterns that help us to be who we want to be when that moment arrives. Mm-hmm. 
That's one way that we can be ready for 2024. But I tell you what, if life has taught me anything, it's that stuff's going to happen in 2024 that, my friend, you cannot plan for. There's no looking at the calendar. There's no magic ball that's going to show you the unexpected. So what you're saying is there are there are unexpected, unanticipatable. <laughs> how, unanticip- many sil- how many syllables syllables are in unanticipatable? Yeah, that's a lot. Anyway, anyway you're saying there's word. those kinds of events coming. Yes. Unanticipatable events coming. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing. We can be prepared for the unanticipatable. You got a crystal ball or what? No, 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 no. I'm talking about the ways in which we fortify our faith and we strengthen our walk with God, our resolve to to cling to him and to hold on to him come what may. And it's not just about, yeah, you know, whatever comes, I'm going to be close to the Lord. It's making a decision right now to set in place some of the simple, repeatable patterns that strengthen our faith and that grow us in intimacy with the Lord so that when the unexpected stuff hits, we're just already in a better place. We're already stronger than we were before. I love that. Some of the things that we can do to strengthen our faith ahead of time are things like our prayer life. I don't know what your prayer life looks like, but prayer is, you know, if we can kind of transition it from ritual into relationship, just thinking about prayer as a a conversation with somebody, a really, really authentic, open, honest conversation with someone that we love. You know what my prayer life looks like because there's a great big old window right into my office <laughs> when I'm praying. That's true. You rock when you pray. You I rock do. hard. I Not do. rock hard like <laughs> rock concert, rock hard, but like rocking as in in your chair you yeah. rock. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 So. That's what prayer life looks like for Perry. <laughs> but um, yeah, I would just encourage you to maybe there's a shift that takes prayer from a ritual from something that feels a little bit uh, rote to something real organic where you're meeting with the Lord and you're just opening up and sharing your heart with him. And then talking about opening up and sharing your heart, scripture is another way to anticipate the unexpected, right? To be ready. The more that we press the truth of God's word into our heart, man, the more that we stand rock solid in the midst of, you know, with the waves crashing over us, those unexpected waves. So get into God's word, study it, expose yourself to it, memorize it, make it a regular part of your daily life in 2024. And then another thing is being together with other believers, being in community is so important. There's kind of this popular idea and then COVID kind of emphasized it, that it's me and my Jesus. I can go to the secret place and and just be alone with the Lord in my prayer life, in my reading scripture, and that's all I need. It's not true. Mm-hmm. It's not true according to scripture. If you are reading scripture, it's going to tell you over and over and over again, God tells you, you need people yep. and people need you. And community is an important part of becoming like Jesus and living the Jesus way. Jesus did it. Yeah. I mean, come on. If nothing else... See that Jesus modeled living in community. If you've tapped out because of COVID, let me let me challenge you. Re-engage. Mm-hmm. Be, be with God's people in some way, shape, or form. 
be in be in worship Sunday. Mm-hmm. Show up in, per- in person. Yeah. Just want to encourage you to do that. You'll be blessed. They'll be blessed. It's a win-win. And then I think another one, and sure, I'm sure there's more than what I'm pointing out here, but another is just how are you serving? How are you serving? Because as we serve, every time I serve, <laughs> I grow spiritually. I've not been able to get away with serving and not growing spiritually. And I don't think you can either. So sign up to serve and it will strengthen your relationship with the Lord. It will strengthen your relationship with other people. It's just... It's a good thing. So set aside some time over the next couple of weeks together with God to, you know, to, to, to dream about 2024, to have him bring to mind the, uh, the expected for sure. And even to lead you in knowing how you can be prepared for the unexpected. And I just want to encourage you with Galatians 6, 4, and 5. This is from the message. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work that you've been given. And then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best that you can with your own life. Thanks for letting Perry and Shauna walk the real life journey with you. The content from the Perry and Shauna podcast comes from their live show, Perry and Shauna Mornings on 89.3 Moody Radio, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Reach out to us by texting 800-968-8930 and please subscribe.